0: some neighbors are saying way too loud
1: welcome in everybody to a brand new episode of the world famous loose lug nuts podcast the nascar podcast by the average fan for the average fan we have a very special episode that features a special guest in cup series driver quinn half and we are able to get him on you did all the legwork for this one though
2: i think i'm doing all the legwork for all of them um no i mean yeah i think people are going to really like it uh just such a personal everyone we talk to i think it's a a nascar thing um except for a couple grumpy gusses there's a lot of good people in nascar and uh, quinn is one of those people all right so without further ado
1: here's our interview with quinn half (laughs) All right, so we have a very special guest in NASCAR Cup Series driver, Quinn Hauf, who drives for Starcom Racing. Uh, first off, thanks for joining us. Uh, how's everything going? It's going great, man.
3: Uh, obviously, we're hitting the middle of summer here, so I'm just enjoying some time back home with some family and friends and enjoying the weather and, and getting ready for a big road course race coming up. It's a new track for myself, so putting in a lot of work this week and looking forward to uh, the new challenge. All
1: right. So we wanted to get started with your early days as a racer and how you got started because you're a first uh, generation driver is that correct?
3: Yeah you know I, I somehow got this racing bug all my own a lot of times you see a lot of guys coming up through that have family backgrounds or or some sort of connection to racing and, and I didn't really have that at all outside of just me and my dad being NASCAR fans and uh, growing up I was just your normal you know little kid playing little league baseball really and um, going to the bullpens, a lot of times there's go-kart tracks out back, and that's where I saw racing for the first time. And in places that I just raced my dad, really, back there. And one day I saw a kid on, in the little ticket booth area that was racing go-karts for real, and I bugged him for two years. I wanted to try to race go-karts competitively, and he finally caved when I was eight years old. and uh, We started racing as a hobby together at the local go-kart track in Waynesboro, Virginia, and the rest is history, I guess.
2: Uh, take us back to the, the... – first time you were in a, a go-kart. What was that experience like for you?
3: Yeah, you know, I didn't really I didn't really know what to expect. My first go-kart race going there. We were at uh it's a speedway called East Side Speedway. And we actually raced on uh the parking lot for the drag strip haulers. And my dad and I went there, we had a dirt go-kart that we kind of transferred to asphalt and uh we saw that, you know, the competition or purple plate class is pretty stout and obviously went out there and just ran what we thought was best and ended up running third at my very first race and, and gained a lot of confidence. I went out and ran, uh, one, my, my second ever race in a go-kart and, uh, really picked up speed from there. So I had a lot of success early doing that. And, uh, that's what led to, uh, thinking that this dream was achievable.
2: Do you keep, uh, do you get that feeling each time you get in the car, still that excitement of, of what you felt back then?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think definitely the nerves have gotten better as I've gotten older. You know, I remember being younger uh, during mini cup races or limited, limited late mile races or late mile stock races and having nerves to the point of, you know, butterflies, the shakes, the whole nine yards. But uh, nowadays it's definitely just become more of a humbling thing. Just being able to be 23 years old and, and being able to continue to race and be at the top level of of, of motor sports is just humbling. And obviously there's challenges these every week and as a competitor that that's something you want to accomplish but you have, at the end of the day you have to step back and look and just be thankful that you're still racing period
2: it cutting your teeth at, at tracks like south boston or or places in virginia where like the burton family and the bodine uh, bodine family was uh, pretty uh, big names out there and sort of royalty did that sort of reinforce how tough it was to get in into it without a, a name family name behind you
3: Yeah, obviously, I mean, as I kept continuing to race and wanting to climb the ladder, I realized every step of the way got more difficult, every step of the way had different challenges, right, and uh, obviously a big thing about motorsports is it it takes a lot of money to get to uh, get these race cars on the track, and it took a lot, meeting a lot of great people on the way for development programs, it took a lot lot of great sponsors uh, along the way to keep me in the race cars, so um, like I said, there's a, there's a ton of talent, I feel like, in racing that doesn't necessarily always get a fair shake at being able to get to this level, and uh, obviously there's challenges at this level still, but uh, being able to be a kid that didn't have necessarily a background in racing or a name pool in racing uh, and being able to get to the Cup Series and be one of the 40 drivers each and every week uh, has definitely been a humbling experience and uh, something that I'll never take for granted.
1: Now in uh, 2015, you ran in the car super late model series and you were pretty successful. You had five top fives and a victory, uh, at tri County and you're running against guys that, uh, we all see every weekend with Christopher Bell, William Byron and Zane Smith. First, what was that experience like? And that was that kind of like a do or die season for you as a junior in high school, knowing that, you know, if there is a future in this.
3: No, man, I was still playing, uh, I was still playing varsity football, you know, (laughs) still a kid in high school, just doing different sports more or less, but, uh, my step from honestly, my step from the late mile stocks to the super late models was definitely one that I took a lot more serious. I mean, I cut my teeth in full size stock cars at the late mile stock level. There's a ton of talent, a, a very big variation of of how much experience is in those levels, and and that's really it was a tough time for me as a young kid. But going into the super late model side of things, uh, I seem to take a liking to those high powered cars, lighter cars a lot quicker. Uh, and I had a lot more success. And, and knowing the teams I was racing against, including Cabo Motorsports and, and many more, uh, and having the success I did with the development team at LFR at the time, uh, I knew it was something that was pretty big. And I definitely think that was what, was, what led me to uh, opportunities in ARCA and above. So
2: 2019, you get the, uh, the, the ride with Spire Motorsports. Um, you're in 13 races, average finish about 32nd. They also ran Reed swords and a 14 year veteran. He's got about an average finish of 35th. Did that sort of validate, you know, Hey, you know, I belong here.
3: Yeah. You know, I, I, it's hard to say that I validate that I belong here. Right. I mean, it was just, it was just great to get an opportunity to run in the cup series period and being able to be on the pit road with guys that you looked up to all your racing career and be able to be on the same, uh, competition level as them. And, and for Spire at the time being the first year in the cup series to take that chance on a, on a rookie driver like myself and, and let me have certain starts at the wheel was awesome and, and it, it really l- helped my career out just on the on the side of things of being able to get that experience and and work with NASCAR so uh, you know having guys surrounding me like that you know Reed Sorensen when he wasn't racing he was spotting for me so uh, I just uh, and I still am just a sponge of the sport and and take every opportunity to learn as much as I can and, and get an experience with every start.
2: And then the show that nascar there's so much luck involved one of the races you're not in the car of course justin haley wins that shortened uh, race you well, we gotta bring
3: that up <laughs> <laughs> i was in the race i was in the race it was yeah. uh, it was i was in the premium 15 car but yeah, yeah that, that was definitely a race for sure
1: what do, you, what do you remember most about your first cup series race like were you obviously i think there'd be some nerves there but what was that moment for you like that first race
3: yeah i mean that's a very satisfying moment, right? Uh, obviously there's a lot of nerves that come with that. Uh, we were at a track in Phoenix that I'd never seen before and in a cup car that I'd never run before, but thank God back then, they were still practicing qualifying. Uh, and I remember lining up on pit road for practice and having guys like Jimmy Johnson and, and Kurt and Kyle Busch going by you on pit road, making time and, and just thinking, wow, it's uh, this is what you've been working for since you're eight, eight years old. And, and now you're here and you just got to take in the moment and, and, As a driver, honestly, my career uh, at that point, I I didn't know what the next guaranteed race was. So I just really embraced each and every opportunity. And luckily, I was able to go out there on that first start and and have a decent run with that team. And uh, that led to more starts.
1: So how did the Starcom deal uh, come about? And what are some other options were you looking at? Were you thinking about doing Xfinity or trucks?
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, as a driver, there's always options, right? It always and it always comes down to what kind of sponsorship you have and what's the best decision for your sponsors and and programs to go to that you best fit at. And uh, you know, I had options necessarily to come back and maybe be with premium. uh, But at the same time I I wanted to be able to grow as a driver and be able to grow with a program. And I felt like Starcom was a good place for that. And honestly the opportunity with Starcom wouldn't have come about if I hadn't had the opportunity to be in the cup series for those 17, 18 starts that I hadn't. In 2019, so I have to attribute that, and I have to thank Spire, and Premium and Jay Robinson for the opportunity to do that, Uh, that led me to this uh, deal with Starcom Racing that I've been in, and uh, I can't thank Matt and Mike Kohler enough for being, you know, gracious enough to let me start my career and continue my career in the Cup Series with Starcom Racing. So, uh, you know, it's always about, like I said, it's always about where you're at who you're in front of and who you know and 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 those things are what lead to different opportunities and i was just fortunate enough to be in the in the seat at the time
1: so you start with starcom you're in your first Ah. full-time ride in 2020 uh for the first time in a long time you get you know you get to spend the entire year with the organization everything's got to be riding high and then covid comes uh talk us through that experience and how did that impact your development
3: yeah all right yeah we picked a great year to start as a rookie driver right for your first full-time season amid a pandemic obviously that was never something anybody planned on but um you know it was it was honestly first you know you're with a small team to begin with uh you're with a very green rookie driver like myself and then you go into you know the west the west coast swing and things stop for three months you know that side of things wasn't too different for me because like i said i was a driver that you know, didn't have the full-time opportunities coming up. So I was used to being out of the race car for a certain amount of weeks, but, um, you know, coming back to the racing and, and not having that time on track for practice or qualifying was, was very difficult. I mean, I was with a team that, you know, didn't have any notes with me and didn't have many notes period being only the, their third full-time season in the sport. And, uh, Having a lot of new guys, new components behind the scenes, as well as myself behind the wheel, uh, was definitely a struggle. But it was something that we had to kind of embrace and, and believe in each other. And and without doing that, you know, we wouldn't have made it through. And um, just I'm like I said, I'm just grateful for that opportunity to continue to do that, even amid a pandemic. And and uh, hats off NASCAR for getting that season in me. And I mean, being able to be one of the only sports that was able to to finish a full season on time uh, was a great achievement. Obviously, we missed the fans greatly, but. Uh, 2021 has definitely been nice to be able to see some people come back and and be able to have the energy in the building again
2: now we're none of us are supposed to have regrets but had you known there was going to be a year and a half or two or whatever we're getting up without practice um do you think you would have gone a different route had you had that knowledge
3: no man i mean you have to sit back and look at it as like like you said we started this conversation out with that this I'm a Virginia guy from a small town with no racing background. Uh, If you had a cup opportunity or if any other aspiring driver had a cup opportunity, would you turn it down? I don't think so with any circumstance. So, uh, you know, I've always believed in myself 100%. And I think that even through and amid a a pandemic with all the things we had to face through, I think with the realistic goals that we set, that we did a, a pretty good job. And obviously in 2021, we want to perform better. And we've been in kind of a rut and had a lot of bad luck, but, if I had to look back and change things, I really don't know that I would because you never know when these opportunities are going to come around. There's only 40 drivers that get to line up each and every week in the Cup Series, and, and just to be one of those drivers is, is definitely a great opportunity.
1: So did I read correctly that you wrestled hogs a little bit during COVID when we were paused? Well, you know, the
3: story, the story goes a lot deeper than you want to know probably, but uh, we ended up in the infield Atlanta, and, and they ended up canceling the race, and we had to deal out, grill out some burgers and stuff that we had for a bunch of fan, you know family and friends and sponsors that were supposed to come and it ended up just being me and ross chastain and and uh, my wife and his girlfriend and we partied a little bit in infield by ourselves and we're like all right well we don't really know when we're racing again so we're just gonna leave and uh, my my wife has some family down in south georgia and she's like let's go visit them so we went and visited them and uh, all i had packed was racing clothes next thing I know i'm in the middle of a swamp with her with her uncle chasing pigs, and uh, we weren't hunting them as in shooting them. We were hunting them as in they were going to tackle them and wrestle them, and that was a whole different experience that I, I never knew of, and, and my wife kind of laughed at me because I came back and soaked jeans, the bands, and a bunch of bug bites that I didn't know what bit me, but uh, it was definitely definitely a heck of experience and a way to kick off a, a pandemic, I would say.
1: So were you successful with hunting them?
3: I, I definitely saw one get wrestled down. I, did, <laughs> I never touched a greasy pig myself, but I definitely – I definitely got the full experience, and we carried it around for the day, and uh, it was uh, was something I'll never forget, and obviously it's something that gets brought up in some interviews now.
2: So who do you turn to for advice, and and how much help are you getting from Derek Cope as part of the organization?
3: Yeah, you know, obviously, like we talked about with the pandemic and not having any practice or qualifying, I had to rely a lot on guys that had experience, And, and obviously our general manager at Starcom Racing, Derek Cope, uh, was somebody that that I could easily lean on and turn to if I had questions, especially uh, with this package we're running, and it's like a it's like a draft or a Super Speedway if you go a lot of these mile and a half and above tracks that we run. And uh, he's very good with that side of things, so I lean on him a lot for that. For that, and um, there's a couple guys in the field that I feel like I could lean on and ask questions if I had certain things about specific race tracks and uh, what I needed to do best. But you know, honestly, it was really uh, just about track time, going out there and and learning as much as I could and, uh, learning from mistakes and, you know, it's not always pretty, uh, it's not always pretty and it's not always easy, but it's something that I had to go through and obviously in difficult situations, uh, with, with the, the pandemic. But, uh, like I said, I still wouldn't trade in anything for anything in the world and I'm very thankful to still be in the seat this year.
2: Now coming back from COVID very first races, back-to-back races in Darlington. And I read somewhere, I think it was Frontstretch.com, uh, You had done something no one had ever done before, which is run a race at Darlington without any laps at all in any vehicle at all. Um, <laughs> a, were you surprised they didn't have you do a rookie test and did you guys request test time? And then finally, what was that experience like? Cause that's a tough track. And
3: yeah, you know, it was a track that, uh, you know, everyone always knows as one of the toughest tracks on the circuit. And that was one of the tracks that my dad growing up was always like, I like to watch Darlington. I like to go to Darlington because I like to see which drivers, you know, excel at that track because that is a very difficult track. So uh, heading into that, that Darlington race after the pandemic led up a little bit, and we got back racing was definitely something that was a big challenge for myself, not having any laps there, not having ever seen the place uh, in person. But, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, this is the Cup Series, and, and these are the best drivers in the world. Um, and and I went into that with full confidence in my abilities and myself and my team. And I think we did – went there, and, and with the circumstances that we were in, we performed very well. I went there and was was competitive. You know, we took our time in the first race. We had fun races there. I believe we raced Sunday and then back on a Wednesday. Uh, and we went there and, and ran, uh, honestly, pretty well. And I was very, very happy with the team for setting the car. Up, uh, well enough for me to be able to go out there and learn and be able to come back to the second race and apply things we learned, and apply my experience from the first race and be able to get after a little more. So, you know, honestly, that was one of those times that, that in the situation we were in, I felt like we excelled. I mean, as far as there was no expectations for me or the team at those situations. And then to be able to go out there and have, you know, top 30 runs for a small team like ours was was a very big achievement.
1: Do you think like those two results... Um, show what you can do when you get like the practice and the steady work in a normal setting.
3: Yeah, I mean, honestly, you know, with 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 the smaller teams, any kind of practice is going to be big. I mean, there's a that's very valuable laps, very valuable time for us to be able to make adjustments for me to get experience on these racetracks and be able to carry that into the race. When you go out there and just have to line up and race, it's kind of wrong what you're wrong, and and sometimes you might be a little behind. You know, we're a team that has. 20 employees on a full day and we're racing against teams that have maybe 200 plus employees on a full day so obviously there's a very big gap difference on employee side and on budget side so you're going to have a lot of big a lot of different challenges and, and run a different race so uh that's something as a driver that I've had to learn a lot about in the cup series and uh those races like you said at Darlington without any practice and being able to go out there and perform is very satisfying but then again you turn around and have some races this year you had practice and feel like you don't you didn't run very well so uh, it goes hand in hand and and racing will you know pick you up and knock you down just as fast so that's that's part of the sport and that's why we love it and that's why we go each and every week
1: yeah i think you and i we would all be on the same page because there's a guy that he works for toyota racing development that says nascar should get rid of practices they think it should be more competitive i don't think it is like do you how often do you use a simulator and like how accurate do you think that is
3: Yeah, honestly, I mean, as far as what I call a simulator, right, I I consider my sim seats rig. It's a good partner of mine uh, on our racing simulator. We don't have any manufacturer backing or anything like that from Chevrolet. So I I solely rely on what, you know, anybody could really get their hands on. Obviously, I have a great uh, setup from sim seats, but that's something during the the COVID race season last year and even into this season, heading into uh, road courses uh, with my little experience with those. Uh, that I take and I take a lot of time on them I run a lot of laps on them and I'm very realistic with them and uh, I think that's what really led to me being able to carry confidence into difficult places like Darlington and be able to go there and and run my first laps on a green flag competition so um, you know I I owe a lot to that iRacing and some seats for being able to get me a rig I don't think you could have planned getting an iRacing rig any better than two weeks after a pandemic hits but uh you know everything happens for a reason for sure.
2: So how do you think the next-gen car is going to affect uh, smaller shops like Starcom?
3: Yeah, hey, no, obviously uh, this is uh, a very big switch for the industry. We're heading to a next-gen car that's got a lot of different components uh, within and without the car. Uh, I think that's going to present a lot of new challenges as far as finding speed on the racetrack. I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on, on teams to be able to find speed uh, early in the season. Uh, I think that's also going to be something that's tough for teams uh, to be able to switch and transition everything over. You know, there's not a part or piece that we're running this year that's going to be able to tr- transfer over, so it's going to be very tough in the early goings. But I think it's a good direction for the for the industry and NASCAR as a whole. I think uh, once we get down the road, I think competition is going to be a little bit more level, especially in the first few races of the season. Uh, but then you'll obviously be able to see who excels at, at these new cars uh, heading into the after the first four or five races of the season. But uh, you know, it's very exciting, and uh, obviously saw a big schedule shakeup this year, and I think you'll see uh, more of a schedule shakeup in 2022 with this new car as well, and uh, it's going to – I think you're going to have to learn from scratch. I really don't know how much it's going to be able to, to carry over from 2021 to 2022, so it's going to be nice to see the, the driver's challenge as well.
2: Uh, any talks with Starcom about the future?
3: No, you know, honestly, See, I mean, I've, I've always said this in all my interviews is uh, I've always been a driver that takes it one race at a time. And um, this year is the same thing. I know I've been full time now, but I still take it one week at a time. I know our, our goals each and every week, you know, heading into each individual track and, and being realistic about those goals. And obviously we do have a goal set for ourselves at the end of the year, but uh, uh, that's something that we got to just knock out each and every week to achieve and, and reach that goal at the end of the year. And I think if you perform throughout that year, uh, the next years will take care of themselves. So that's what I'm looking forward to doing and heading into to each and every guarantee Week of this season and hopefully leading to more opportunities in 2022.
2: Perfect. If you want to ever break anything on loose lug nuts, we'll be here, just so you know.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. Just,
2: just let us know. Uh, so one of, the,
1: one of our favorite things that we do uh, each episode when we preview races is favorite paint schemes. And you've become one of our favorite drivers this year. Cause you got some pretty badass sponsors and some paint scenes. And the one we kind of talked about it before uh, we started the interview was eight ball whiskey. So how did you get connected with them? And uh, is it, does it taste as good as we imagine?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it tastes great, right? It's uh, it's definitely, and people ask me all the time, what does it taste like? And I'm like, it literally is what it says it is. It's literally a very sweet chocolate, but it has that whiskey taste. It's not thick like a liqueur or anything like that. You know, I got a guy like myself after dinner, I like to have a little something sweet and instead of eating a piece of chocolate, you can sip on a little bit of chocolate whiskey and it, it takes that sweet tooth away from you. But uh, I know a lot of people love to mix it with their ice cream or coffee. Uh, I've even heard a lot of people like to mix it with uh, like a peanut butter whiskey, like a screwball and make a Reese's ball. cup. Of so uh, there's a lot of different things you can use it for. But, you know, uh, eight ball whiskey is just one of those one of those great things, you know, as a driver that you've. You aspire to bring, be able to bring new companies into the sport, and be able to build that relationship and build your brand and their brand at the same time. And Eight Ball Whiskey is, is a newer a newer whiskey on the West Coast that's growing fast across America, and uh, they they're grinders and they believe in my vision as a grinder as well and putting putting in the hard work and what we believe in and what we love to do, and uh, for them to be able to be on our small team this year for uh, you know ten eleven races has been has been an honor to have them on board and. Um, you know, uh, Ryan Daly, uh, he does a phenomenal job. It doesn't matter what sponsor we have, you know, from Mountain Lock to 8-Ball Whiskey to Main and Tail to Creek, all of our race cars each and every week have a lot of great vibrant colors on them and a lot of great schemes, and we definitely show up looking very good.
2: Well, now that we know someone who knows someone in 8-Ball uh, corporate offices, uh, we're confident we'll get it here in College Station here in the near future, if you want to put in the good word for us. Um, Absolutely, <laughs> And the other one, main and tail. Um, I'm sort of a marketing wizard myself. Have you ever thought of races where you're in the main and tail car, changing the last name to hoof, just to get the horse thing going?
3: <laughs> I that's the first time I've heard that one, and I'm honestly surprised. That's the first time I've heard that because a lot of times you hear it pronounced as huff, right? But yeah. uh, no, that's 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 never been a thought, but. Uh, you know, it's been, it's been a blast to work with that partner. Obviously it's been a partner that's been long involved in NASCAR, especially with their Cook's career and to have them still on the car and, in 2021 and, and have them on board for eight races this year. A lot of, a lot of marquee races this year with Bristol dirt, and Nashville, uh, Pocono double headers is their home track this weekend. Uh, it's been a lot of fun and being able to collab with DreamWorks and the new spirit movie that came out was a lot of fun as well. We got to do a lot of fun things with that and meet a lot of great fans and i let people see the race car. So without great sponsors like that, man, that's what makes it happen.
2: Yeah. I have a COVID mullet going and I, I'm going to start using main and tail because I think might be able to get them as a corporate sponsor for the, for the podcast. Once again, we know someone who knows someone in corporate. It's so. <laughs> hey, so one last question for me. What would you, uh, that's on the schedule.
1: Is there any racetrack that you get especially amped up for? Like what's your favorite track to go to?
3: Um, you know, honestly, uh, being from Virginia and, and people ask me the favorite track question all the time. So I'll probably just bundle this all into one. Uh, if there's a track that you want to get amped up the most for as a driver, I feel like it has to be the Bristol Night Race. And if there's a track that, you know, if you're an NASCAR fan or if you're new to the sport that you want to know a track to go to, to to have the best experience, it's the Night Race at Bristol. I feel like overall, from, from one side of the fence to the other, it's the greatest experience. You're on top of the action. Uh, the action is constant. There's no time for a break. It's very, very, very challenging uh, from the driver's side. And it's definitely one that, you know, being from Virginia and it only being about four hours away and coming from short track racing, it's one that I want to perform well at. Uh, it's a track that I made my Xfinity debut at. Uh, so there's a lot of great history there as well. So um, that's definitely the track that I would say, you know, especially in the second half of the season here heading into it, that I want to go to uh, and I want to run well.
2: Okay, and the, the question I always like to end it on, is there, who's the one racer we've never heard of who's the best racer you've seen in all your days from, from a youth to, to some other series we might not see because it's not on TV?
3: Yeah, I mean, that list, that list is probably bigger than you would expect it to be. I mean, like I said, I came from uh, short track racing on late models uh, from South Boston, Virginia, um, Virginia, there's, there's so much talent. I feel like at those levels that I learned to race full size stock cars with that just never got the opportunity to go above that level, whether it be just mainly because of sponsorship levels, right. That's what makes or break this sport, unfortunately. Um, uh, and one of those names that you probably would recognize right now, that's getting a shot or that, that has had a shot and it's leading to more opportunities is Josh Berry. Um, He's someone that's been in late model racing for a very long time. Uh, somebody that I raced at Mermont Speedway weekly uh, in, in his junior motor sports car. Uh, at the time I was racing the late models, Lee Paul was winning about anything there was to win uh, at the late model level uh, across, across the East coast and the national championship in the uh, NASCAR wheeling uh, series. So that was someone that had a lot of talent and, and before him at the rain was Philip Morris. I mean, and the history just keeps going back and, and, uh, even today, you know, uh, I was fortunate enough. My wife, I raced against her dad at South Boston Speedway, around Hill, and, and his family has a rich history. Uh, Orange County Speedway back when the Bush Series used to go through there uh, with Maurice Hill. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough to race with the Harefield family, and Bugs Harefield was uh, racing against, um, you know, the, the Hill family as well. So, I mean, there's so much history in the short track levels, and, and a lot of times it doesn't get to make it to the national levels for many unfortunate reasons but uh there's definitely a lot of talent so i'd have to say if there's race fans out there definitely go uh enjoy your local home track on a friday or saturday night because that's some of the best racing you'll probably see
1: well quinn that's all we got for you we appreciate uh your time i hope you enjoyed it as much as we did we were fans before you came on but now we're uh <laughs> we're gonna be die hard quinn half pounds well i appreciate it guys thanks for having me on So again, a special thanks to Quinn for joining us. My first reaction when we were doing the interview was how, first of all, how genuine he was. And then second, how uh, positive and grateful he was to be in the Cup Series. I thought that was the most telling thing for me.
2: Yeah, and it seems like someone who, hey, I'm living uh, every day to be the best. And uh, tomorrow we're going to try to be better than that. And that's a good way to look at things. I particularly enjoyed the
1: story about how he partied uh, with Ross Chastain in the infield, how he was, they they partied at the infield in Atlanta and then he goes uh, hog wrestling.
2: Yeah. uh, I'm a little sad that he didn't actually take down a hog. Uh, I was hoping he'd use his uh, linebacker skills from back at Fort Defiance high school, but yeah, just uh, some good stories. And you know, I really, the thing I really like too, is he's, I think he's going to talk to some people, and I think we're going to have 8-Ball Whiskey in College Station here pretty soon. I don't want to sound like an alcoholic, but when he was talking about how good 8-Ball
1: Whiskey was, I kind of was about ready to go to the liquor store and see if we had any. <laughs> we don't. I checked last week. <laughs> <laughs> so the, that will do it. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, it was Quinn Half. Appreciate him for coming on and Starcom Racing for being so accommodating. Uh, you can find clips and all of our other Uh, fun things on social media on twitter at loose lug nuts pod or on instagram at loose lug nuts podcast we'll be back on friday to preview this weekend's races we will see you guys i grew up in texas
0: where football was my game until that racing fever started burning in my brain started running mini stocks when i was 13 and won a short track championship when i was just 16 I met a man named Harry Hyde and he built a car for me. Sponsored by Granddaddy Hillens Drillin' Company. We ran in five Grand Nationals when I was 17. My Talladega finish was the start of my big dream. i e